We are in the middle of a sermon series. Today it concludes. It's entitled An Attitude of Gratitude. An Attitude of Gratitude. And so we've covered a lot of, a lot of ground, but I want to remind you, I always try to connect last week's message to this week's message. They've been building. And so if you've missed a few, I'd love for you to go online, get connected on our app and listen, download the notes, study along during the week. But we want to remember that God's word builds precept upon precept. And so when I do a sermon series, I do like to build and, and bring us, uh, bring us somewhere. In terms of revelation and what God is might be revealing to you. Now, we said last week that in John 1, 29, there's a powerful declaration from John the Baptist who says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I thought John the disciple wrote John. You're right, but he's quoting John the Baptist because John the Baptist would announce the Messiah to the world, so to speak. And you have here a very, very powerful verse that we'll come back to. I also want to remind you that a grateful heart is a generous heart. That's today's title. A grateful heart is a generous heart. Isn't that true? We have an amazing story of a grateful, generous heart in John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, now we've got a lot of detail. I don't want you to get lost in the detail. I want you to pick out the main idea. And the way I see the main idea, just to give you a little hint, that way you're you're tracking with me as we go. The main idea is you have generosity and then you have fear. Generosity is promoted by gratitude and love. Fear is promoted by selfishness or relying on oneself. And so just like in anything, you can plant either seed. You can plant either a generous seed or you can plant a fear-filled seed. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I've planted on this side, haven't you? Now, some are, or maybe don't want to admit, but I've also planted over here. I know what it's like to plant on both sides. I like this one better. This one grows up good crop. That one grows up more bad crop. And so I'll share a story with you, but first let's go to God's word. I also want to remind you that many times as humans, we tend to look to the other side and say, it's always greener on the other side. But can I tell you? If you plant good seed, you don't have to look at somebody else's garden or yard. It's greener where you water it. So it's not enough just to plant the seed. I want you to water it as well. You say, Pastor, you're speaking, you know, and all these seed planting and this and that. Well, Jesus did the same. But we're going to get straight to the point as we get into this, this little story here in John 12. Six days before Passover. Okay, remember... Jesus is the Lamb of God, the Lamb that is represented, Jesus, or the Lamb of Passover represents Jesus. So Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with Jesus. Then Mary 
took about a pint of pure nard. All of these details are important, but again, I want you to pick out the main idea here. An expensive perfume, she poured it on Jesus' feet, and then she wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Isn't that beautiful? When generosity strikes, it blesses everyone in the room. Blesses everyone in the room. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the the poor? It was worth about a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put inside. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she would save this perfume for this very day, the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, the main idea here is Mary sows out of a grateful heart in generosity. Judas sows out of a what? Fear-filled, selfless heart. Selfish heart, excuse me, selfish heart. Now think about this. We've all been there and we've all had opportunity to sow towards generosity in others. And we've also had the opportunity to sow towards selfishness. Can I tell you about a story in my life? And I know that I'm tracking with God because this morning, this very morning, Miss Teresa stops me out here. Miss Teresa Johnson says, Pastor Chris, I just want you to know I went down to Michera. Some of you are going, Michera, what is that? Mi tierra, my land in, that, that's the name of this particular restaurant, right on Market Square. How many of you are familiar with it? Well, that's, that, that's, I'm, I'm from, some of you are going, where are you, where, where were you born? I'm born in San Antonio, San Antonio, Texas. And uh, my parents grew up there. I would go down to this little bakery and I would eat there. And so it brings a lot of fond memories for me. But, on one, but I am particularly, I have a weakness for empanadas. How many, some of you know what an empanada is. I've actually almost missed a flight because I'm buying empanadas in the airport. They just draw me. You know, and it's like, and how many of you know the airport's never that good? You could skip them, believe me. But anyway, I go, and she tells me, the line was out the door, I just couldn't wait. I couldn't wait, and I'm like, oh. Well, this story kind of goes like that. I get there years ago at noon, ask for empanadas, they're out. So I kind of like bite my lip, don't say anything, go home. Come back another day at 11, noon, Go, come to 11. Nope, they're out. Come back another day, I'm driving all the way to San Antonio. At 10, they're out, I need to speak to a manager. Now, manager comes up. How can I help you? You never have any empanadas. Once, twice, three times. Not good. Simple supply and demand economics. You supply when I demand. That's the way it goes, right? That's the American way. And I said, no, no, look, look. If you can't keep them on the shelf or in the, in the case, it's because you need to raise the price and make more. Do them both at the same time. You'll be happier and then I'll be happy and we can stop all this. He says, it's not us. It's 
our baker, Ricardo. Ricardo. I said, if you go there now, they have a pastry dedicated to Ricardo. He was about 90 years old. This was years ago. And he only makes what he wants to make. And I'm going, you got to be kidding me. This crazy old man, he only, he's an empanada Nazi. You've heard of the soup Nazi? This is the empanada Nazi. And I'm saying, this is, this is wrong. You got, and he goes, he makes what he wants to make. And here lately, he hasn't been wanting to make very much. And he's the only one that has the recipe. In this day and age, put some cameras up. It's your kitchen. Take the recipe. I'm like, let's do this. He goes, let me see what I can do. He goes back. He talks to Ricardo. Ricardo has a stash keys. He brings out a whole pan full of empanadas. I mean, full. He goes, Ricardo wants you to know that he appreciates you loving his empanadas so much that you can have some of his private stash. (laughs) He says, how many would you like? I said, I'll take all of them. I bought dozens that day. I came home with them in boxes, two big old boxes. And I said, you know what? These are mine. <laughs> my wife says, oh my gosh, you got so many. Can I give my, my dad and mom some? No. <laughs> Can I give my grandma at least some? No. My precious. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? My precious. And it starts growing. It grew so much that it had Judas. Sell out his savior. It does grow. So I can remember eating them. Three weeks in, I'm still eating them. I'm in the dark now. (laughs) It was dark. You know why? I got up in the middle of the night. I didn't want anybody to know I was eating my last empanadas. And I'm eating them. I kid you not. I taste this ugly taste. And doesn't feel the same. The texture. I flip on the lights. It's a fuzzy Chia Pet. It's got mold growing everywhere. (laughs) Some of you are saying, what does that story have to do with anything? If I have to explain that to you, I also got to pray for you. Because you can sow to selfishness Or you can sow to generosity. Do not be deceived. Galatians 6 says, do not be deceived. When a man, what? Sows that he will also reap. And so here God is saying, you can reap towards generosity. And so today I want to talk to you about the three levels of generosity. The three levels of giving. And there are three. Last week we covered the first. Today I'll just, I'll just skip off of it and uh, springboard off into the second. But I want to let you know that you'll never get to the second level unless you hit the first. The sad part is, is so few Christians will ever even get to the first. And it's not because you can't. It's because we won't. There's a difference between cannot And will not. And so the first level of real blessing in God's economy is the tithe. Now every once in a while I have someone say, what is a tithe? 
And I go, you really don't know, Sabbath. I wasn't raised in church. I'm a brand new Christian. I have no idea what the tithe is. I say, it's 20%. (laughs) Of course, I'm like, no, I'm kidding. But it's always better to go like 40% and they go, oh, wow. Brand new Christians, they have faith. And so they're like, wow. And then I go, no, it's only 10. Oh, yeah, that's easy. See, see how that works? Yeah, that's easy. You know, it's all about perspective, right? No, but it's 10%. A tithe means a 10th. And we said last week, now I need you to keep this in mind, that this has Old Testament roots in that if you were a rancher or a farmer, you were to bring a 10th of what God gave you. Notice the word bring means you don't give it because it's not yours. This is the very first level, learning to trust God. And so you bring a tenth, you bring the, the what? The clean animal, they would redeem the unclean. We said that Jesus was clean, sinless, and that he was, he was redeeming us who were sinful. We also said he's a first fruits offering. So you bring the first of your first harvest. The first of your first harvest. Not just in the passing of time, but specifically knowing, God, you're first. And so this tithe is what God commands throughout his word. So he says, in Malachi 3, 8, 9, he says, I am the Lord, I do not change, verse 6. And he says, stop robbing from me. How have we robbed from you in tithes and offerings? The second level involves offering. But the first level is the tithe. Now stay with me on this. You are cursed with a curse. You keep robbing me. Don't you know that you need my blessing? Because that first part redeems the 90%. And with my blessing, it keeps the enemy from coming in and doing what he wants. He actually goes on to say that. You can read the entire chapter if you'd like. Because he says, I'm the one that rebukes the, the devourer. Who's the devourer? Satan. He's going to have full access to your home and he's going to do what he wants to do. He's a supernatural being. You need my blessing is what God is saying. Now stay with me on this because some of you are saying to me, are thinking right now, man, I just, I don't know how I feel about this. And you're feeling a little funny, but, but, but let me, let me ask you this. How many of you think it's a good idea to go to the doc, the doctor every once in a while? It's a good idea to go to the doctor. Some people have this silly notion, if I go, I'm going to get sick. No, sometimes you go and you find out you're already sick, right? And so I went and I was having a little pain in here. You you guys remember that? Um, And so they start pressing around and they're pressing right in here and they go, and every time they would press, I go, ooh, ah, and they press a little lower. They're making sure my liver, because I asked, I said, what are you doing, doc? He goes, I'm making sure just from the touch what I might be able to surmise. And he goes, your liver seems fine. I think it's your gallbladder. We got to make sure it's not your pancreas. They run a few more tests. Yep, it's your gallbladder. But every time they press, I go, ooh. Now, is that the doctor's fault? Can I tell you, is it the Holy Spirit's fault if he teaches on tithing and you go, ooh. You see where I'm coming with this? Come on now. I'm trying to bless you if you let me. Some of you are going, oh, ah. And he's going, we got to deal with this. We got to deal with this because you don't trust me. I want you to trust the Lord. Can I tell you, this church doesn't need your money. You need God's blessing. 
You need God's blessing. And you know what I find interesting? It's the people that are going, ooh, are usually the non-tithers. The tithers are like, yes, tell them. This has made all the difference in my life. I want to help you. But I want you to know that, that this is a real problem in the American church. Do you realize that 5% of churchgoers actually tithe? How about this one? 1.5 million people tithe out of 247 million. 1.5 million out of 247 million that consider themselves to be Christians. 77% of tithers give more than their 10%. Remember what I told you? That when you hit the first level, you'll always hit the second level. Because the first level springboards you into the second. How? We'll explain that. I'll explain that more. But, but just stay with me. We're building something here. The average weekly giver or giving amount is $17 per churchgoer. That amounts to $73.67 a month and $884 per year. If every Christian would actually tithe, there would be an extra $139 billion with a B. To expand God's work. What I'm trying to get us to understand. Is that. This is something we need to teach on. So that you and I. And everyone can see the blessing. Of that first level. Of just getting God involved. As Jehovah Jireh. His Old Testament name was Jehovah Jireh. The great provider. David bragged about. You are my provision. In the land of the living. I mean, I've experienced the fact that you provide for me. David said things like, I've experienced many things in my life. Some were really rotten, but I've never seen God's children forsaken. Never. I've never seen God leave his children as orphans. So the second level is a free will offering. A free will offering can only be given after you've brought your tithe. Some people say, well, I give free will offerings. You don't give a free will offering technically before God until you bring a tithe. Because the, the, the offering is above and beyond your tithe. Now, this is found in God's word. I can show you a verse out of Numbers. Actually, multiple verses out of Numbers, Deuteronomy. I'm going to show you many of the prophets spoke of it. But in this verse, it literally says... You have a vow that you've made before the Lord. You've had free will offerings and then you've had the prescribed offerings. They're at the the festival times that God has outlined. You say, but we're not under the law. Absolutely, we're not under the law, but the New Testament shows a free will offering as well. This is not per se about all the technicals. This is about the heart. So I don't have the time to go into all the technicals, but if you study this, you'll find that a free will offering is above and beyond what your tithe is. How many of you have ever been moved in your heart to just give above and beyond what you give, what you bring to the church? I know I have. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Here in Ezra, the Bible says, when they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the heads of the families gave of their free will toward the rebuilding of the house of God. So here you have this free will offering. 
Do you realize that Jesus was God's firstborn offering, first fruits offering, but then Jesus gave a free will offering on top of that? How do we know this? Watch this in John 10, 18. In John 10, 18, he says, no one takes my life from me. Those nails did not hold Jesus to the cross. His love and his free will to love you and to give you everything. That's what Jesus says. No one takes my life from me. I willingly lay it down. It's up to me to give or not to give. And I choose to give. It's something beyond the tithe. It's also called a holy handshake. How many of you have ever experienced a holy handshake? Some of you are saying, I have no idea what you're talking about, Pastor. Come on, stay with me. If you've ever experienced a holy handshake, either as a giver or as a receiver, it's amazing. It's when God impresses upon your heart, bless that person. Bless that person. And you take $100, you ask God, what, $100, $20, $5, a dollar, whatever it is. And you fold it up, you put it in your hand. And then you go shake their hand or you greet them and you leave it. Anyone ever done that? How's it feel? I can tell you, it's brought tears to people's eyes. I've seen people shake and say, how did you know? I said, I didn't. The Holy Spirit knew. Can anyone testify that what I'm saying is true with an amen? Amen, amen. No, listen. I've also been on the receiving side. I've been on the giving side, but I've also been on the receiving side. I can remember when we first started foundation. I don't say this to impress you. I say it to upon you that God radically called us from the business world. We changed our jobs. We took jobs in, in Bastrop, Texas. And I left the job and I started another. And there was a difference in what I was making. We were in the middle of building a house. I told my wife, we probably will never move into that house because we have to qualify at a new pay, there's no way in the world it's going to happen. We're going to have to sell it. Well, it didn't, it, it, we didn't have to sell it. We moved in, but we didn't have any furniture. We, we used, I bought, I scraped up some money. I bought my father-in-law's old truck. We stayed with them for a while. We put, we, we just did whatever we had to do to make ends meet. But I can remember when Someone told me, they said, you should charge for the amount of counseling you're doing. And I said, I'm not going to charge. Freely I have received, freely I'm going to give. And I'll never forget, a certain family came in for counseling. We counseled them, my wife and I, and their marriage just blossomed and grew. And I said, wow, to the honor and glory of God. But then all of a sudden, about a year later, I started getting a note. Thank you for all you do to foundation, sincerely. And I opened that first note and like a $50 bill dropped out. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so then I, I saw the handwriting and, and I got another note. And then I said, I'm not going to open this one until the whole family comes together. And I brought the whole family together. And my children, we all like a, like a football huddle. We put our hands on the card. And each one of them prayed a blessing over the family that was giving us this. And he said, because of this, we get to go on vacation. We're going to save every penny we get. And you should see the tears in their eyes. And when we'd go on vacation, we'd pull out that little nest egg that we had saved from sincerely. And they go, they go, I don't know who sincerely is, but I love them. 
Come on, that's called a free will offering. I don't have to do it. God stirred up something in my heart. I'm so grateful for what he's done. I get to bless somebody else. And I'll never forget, years rolled by. This was early on. I didn't, we, didn't, we didn't have any money. None. And it was 10 years before we went on vacation. I can tell you of another day when, when Jason Siegel said, my, <laughs> you're crying, baby, because wow. He comes to me and says, it's not much. It's one of the oldest condos in, in all of South Padre. It's pretty run down. We'll take it. We'll take it. He says, here, go bless your family. We got to stay. We're all piled in there. My kids still talk about that's the best vacation we ever went on. And we took sincerely. And we would go and buy blizzards at Dairy Queen. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? Do you hear that? Over the years, I've got to be on both sides. I'm telling you, it's a beautiful thing to experience that second level. Well, I want to tell you, because I want to honor them. I went through my, I have files and files of notes that people have given me through the years. I don't throw things away. That lot like that. I have the bad ones. The good ones far outweigh the bad And I was looking through them, David, and I read a note. I said, I've seen that sincerely before. And after we had counseled a certain couple, they said, thank you for all you did for us and our family, sincerely. Mike and Kathy Dietrich. Some of you know the Dietrichs. You also know they moved to be closer to their family in uh, Florida. And when they told us they were moving, and I told my children, this is sincerely, they wept. Not because we weren't going to get a gift, but because someone we had grown to love their heart. We were going to be missing them in this congregation. Can I tell you? There's a lot of sincerities in these seats. A lot of people that have a giving heart. And I thank you for it. I thank you for it. Not because you give to my family, but because you give to the Lord. And you give to those people that God impresses upon your heart. There's never a better feeling than when you get to bless someone in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen? I'm here to tell you, there is a level beyond just tithing. It's a free will gift offering. There's also number three, the extravagant offering. Do you realize that Jesus was extravagant in his gift to us? He died on the cross for us. But beyond that, do you remember his first miracle? His very first miracle was a miracle of extravagance. Think about it. The wedding was almost over, maybe halfway through. And he gave them 180 gallons of wine. The Bible says it wasn't ordinary wine. It was the choicest wine the banquet host had ever tasted. He was extravagant. It was almost a thousand bottles of wine. Some of you are going, what in the world was Jesus doing? (laughs) Right? Jesus is an extravagant gift giver. When you connect with his heart... 
You get extravagant. You say, Pastor, I don't know. You're going to have to show me more in God's word. How about Abraham and his son Isaac? Don't you think that was extravagant? The Bible says, but he didn't actually do it. No, the Bible says God read his heart. He actually did it. He had already, how many of you know you have to decide here before you actually do anything? He had already decided here. And that was moved out of gratitude for how awesome God was to him. You go, yeah, you're going to have to show me another one. How about David in 1 Chronicles 29? When the Lord wouldn't allow him to build the temple because he had too much blood on his hands, David was a, a warrior king. He said, I can't have a warrior king building my house. I'm going to leave that to your son. He will experience your peace and your son will build it. David didn't get all mopey. His heart was overflowing with gratitude. That means my son gets this beautiful privilege. He, there's a list there in 1 Chronicles 29 of the things David gave. Do you know how much that equates to today in, in our dollars? Somewhere between 25 and 30 billion. Some of you are saying, yeah, but if I was king, I don't believe the lie of the enemy. It's not easier the more you have, it's harder. That's why God says this, if you can be faithful with the little, then I know I can trust you with much. But if you can't be faithful with the little, you'll never be faithful with much. Why? Because it only gets harder the more stuff gets you. So you have to be careful with this. You go, David, who else? How about Solomon, his son, that learned from his father's generous, extravagant heart? So watch. Solomon has just become king. And he's supposed to bring one bull as an offering to the Lord. You know how many he brings? A thousand, the Bible says. Watch this. There in front, in front of the tabernacle, Solomon went up to the bronze altar in the Lord's presence and sacrificed a thousand bulls. Now, as a rancher, could this be detrimental to your uh, business? I want you to think what Solomon's friends may have told him. I don't know if you should start off this way. That's a lot of bulls. You're going you're gonna to ruin your herd. God doesn't need them. He's there. God doesn't need them. You need to hold up. Wait, you're, work, you're, 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 you're operating out of emotion. Come on. You're, you're getting all whipped up in the moment. Don't, don't do it. One verse later, read what happens. Verse seven, that very night, God shows up in his bedroom. That very night says, what do you want? me to do for you. The Bible says that Solomon's heart was right before the Lord. He didn't ask for fame or fortune. He said that I may be wise to lead your people. And God says, I'm going to give you what you've asked for and I'm going to throw everything else in as well. Think about this. You say, well, should I give to get? You've missed the point. The point is to just let your heart be moved and led by the Holy Spirit. You say, okay, pastor, is that what was happening in John 12? That's exactly what was happening in John 12. See, a grateful heart is a generous heart. See, John 12, you see Mary 
She's sitting at a dinner with Jesus and she's looking at her family. We know this because the Bible chronicles who's sitting at the table and it's a celebration dinner. It's a celebration dinner for Lazarus. Why Lazarus? See, in chapter 11, Jesus has just raised him from the dead. Now, I want you to think about what you might feel like if your brother had been dead and you experienced Jesus raise him from the dead. I mean, miraculously, turned your morning into dancing, your night into day, turned your gloom into bloom. I mean, come on. I want you to think about what you might have been feeling if you're looking and saying, right now, my brother could still be in the grave. And matter of fact, I can remember a few weeks ago, he was in the grave. Jesus showed up, had us move the rock and said, Lazarus, come forth. And with one word, with one command, he came out and we began to leap for joy. And now he's here. And she was moved with that gratitude. She goes into her room. She takes this Pure nard. She comes back and she pours it on his feet. And this begins to happen. Why? Because she's grateful. It's that third level. Of you know what? I'm not measuring this in human standards. I'm just doing what God has called me to do. Can anyone getting excited about this? Anyone getting excited about man? You say, but I've never had anyone raised from the dead. Ephesians 2, 5 says that even though you were dead in your sins, God raised you through the power and the gift of his son. An extravagant gift. Yeah, but how about your children? How about the rest of your family? See, you know what I'm trying to get you to understand is this something you have to practice and stir yourself up. Because the enemy wants to pull you over here. You say, okay, pastor, but I do recall another time when someone was moved this way. There's actually, according to some scholars, three different occasions where Jesus had something similar take place. I want to talk to you for sure about two. One of them is in Mark, and this is where we finish. We just talked about the one in John. Watch what happens in Mark. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and to kill him. Verse 3. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. Made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another. Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages. And the money given to the poor. That's not just Judas. What is it with these people? I'm going to explain it. Because we're part of that group if we're not careful. You say, but it's the same occurrence. It's two different occurrences. And I'm going to share with you probably the most profound thing. Remember what I told you. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We know that Mary, that had received Lazarus back from the dead, took place how many days? Six days before Passover. This is how many days? Two days before Passover. One anointed feet, the other anointed head. 
Why is this important? Because six days before Passover, you were to take your perfect sinless lamb and bring him in from the field. You were to examine him for five days. But on that sixth day, on the fir- when you first bring him in and you examine his feet, you anoint his feet. And you make sure that he doesn't have any scrapes, bruises, or, or lacerations because the Middle East terrain is harsh. And he's supposed to be perfect for the Lord. Here, Jesus is being scrutinized in all these people's homes. He has no sin. And his feet were anointed. Why? Because he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Do you think Mary knew all of this? No, she was just a common girl that knew she had received her son, her, her brother back from the dead and that she was responding to the Holy Spirit and her generous, grateful spirit was, was provoked to give God something beautiful. Something so beautiful that it is now preached about years later. See, sometimes we don't know what our gift might accomplish. But if you, if you go by the power of the Holy Spirit, it'll be better than you think. Better than you think. And so you go, but what about this person? This person did it two days before. Again, stirred by the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that God wants to accomplish something, but you have to say yes to the Holy Spirit? Stirred by the Holy Spirit. See, because the tradition is after five days of examining, you anoint the feet, five days of examining, two days before the feast, you anoint the head. This is all a matter of law and tradition in God's Old Testament. Who is Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Who is Jesus? He is God's tithe. He is God's free will offering. He is God's extravagant offering. And he says, come. Come, experience true generosity. Come. You've got to be willing to listen to the Holy Spirit. This is where we end. It's been two years since I've preached on giving. I say that because inevitably someone will say he's always talking about giving. And I want the record to stand. It's been two years. (laughs) And for that, I apologize to you. Because I should have done it more often. It's a blessing to experience these levels of God's generosity and him allowing you to partner. He doesn't have to allow us to partner. We get to partner. And so this is a very simple offering that will take place above and beyond our tithe. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, we need to start tithing. Start there. Start there. Participate next time we do one of these. But start it, start it at the first level. And you'll see, when you start there, you'll, I promise you, you'll get to this point. I promise you. So, the Grateful Heart offering is to, is to expand our production capabilities from our lights to our camera equipment, the different instrumentation to take our message and the gospel message to more individuals. We also want to spruce up our children's ministry. We want to spruce up in here and a couple of other things. And it'll be depending upon what God puts on your heart. 
Remember, I already I told you we have good news and we have bad news. The good news is we've got the money. The bad news is it's still in your pockets. <laughs> right? So we just need to we just need to get the get that heart of gratitude going. No, I like to use humor with with something really serious at times, but but let's not mix it up. This is something you ask the Holy Spirit to do. So I'd like you within this week and next week to start making your commitments. How do I make a commitment? You go online, you, you scan the QR code. It'll take you exactly to where you need to go. You fill out the information and then you decide how much. The how much will depend on how you want to give it. Some people want to give lump sum and you can indicate that. Some want to give once a month, uh, twice a month, every week, however you decide. But this is very, very important. I don't want you to put in the amount until you've prayed. Until you've prayed and said, Holy Spirit, what is it? And, and you say, oh, because you want him to, you want him to spark, spark us to give more. No. A lot of times the Holy Spirit will say, no. I want you to give this. And you're, you're trying to, to do something else. And he says, no, no, I need you to be here. Sometimes we're here and he says, no, I need, you know, you can do more. But let him lead, amen? amen? Let him lead. I love you, church. Let's partake of communion together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your son. We thank you because you give us the privilege of joining you. In this epic work of salvation. I thank you because through the years you've. You've used generosity. The generosity of others to shape my heart. Shape the heart of my children. It was ultimately. Your act of generosity on the cross. That, that made everything new. And for that we celebrate. Until you return, Lord. We trust in you. Maranatha. I love you, church. We're going to ask that everyone take one this week and next. I'll see you next week. I love you.